We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Okay, ready? what you know, and it's about a time when you get yourself in a I want to know something she needs. I think about everyone you need. I hold in it. Things are moving real now. I have you seen you wanting you. Hey. It's a ratio. Okay, though. It's a ratio. Okay, though. That might be the best question I've ever been asked. <laughs> You're a phenomenal person. I mean, you legendary. I am a fan of you, my brother. Talk to me about Marlo. Did you see him as a villain? You know, I saw him as many things. A villain was one. You did? Yeah. I'm not even going to front. Like, his ability to, you know, fill row houses and take lives. Innocent life. I don't, I don't look past that. But? It's serious to me. But his ability to, to run that business. I have a theater company. Tomorrow, I mean, Moving Mountains. Tomorrow's Future Theater was a company I was with, Moving Mountains. And I asked, they were like 14, 15, 17, 18, 19, all, all ages. So which I thought about the character. What is he, a criminal, a businessman? All of them said businessman. Yeah. And I was shocked like a businessman businessman he was conducting business I saw him as that I saw him as a villain I saw him as a um, a a person that was dialed in and focused with the cards that he was dealt yes he was playing the hands that he was dealt yes and if playing the hands in a different if someone else poured into him you know if given other opportunities growing up then I could only imagine what else he would have been, you yeah. know, because um, he was determined, like LeBron, you know, in his story. You know, he was determined with the laser in his eyes to get it by any means necessary. I mean, when he was sitting down there talking with the, and looking in the Jeep, and it was Snoop, and it was Chris, and he was like, yeah, but it's my turn now. I'm ready, you know. I mean, his determination was beyond. It was like life or death. It was, he was going to get it, regardless of what. So I see him as many, so many things. Jamie Hector is an amazing actor. He's one of the stars of We Own the City on HBO, David Simon's new political police drama about corruption, police corruption in Baltimore. But a lot of you will remember Jamie as Marlo Stanfield 
the young drug kingpin on The Wire, a role he absolutely crushed. Marlo was my favorite character on The Wire, and I know Jamie, and I've been dying to get him on the couch to come talk about that role and acting and everything else. And this conversation gets deep, and it goes there. I love this. So let's get into it. It's my man Jamie Hector on Torre Show. So what do you love about acting? Mm -hmm. You know what? I love making myself feel. I love making people feel. I enjoy... Um, you know what, being a part of such a huge project bit by bit and then seeing it come together. And really, I just love it. I'm, I'm, I'm in love with the process. I'm in love with the process. Like um, everything that I've ever studied or watching people work or even everything that I've ever put together and then finally seeing it come to life. Like, and putting a character together. You know, the things that you always know is work on it, work on it, work on it, then trust that it's there and let it go. And trust, trust what you got inside of you. And, I'm, and I love seeing that come to life. Tell me your process of building a character. Well, the process for me is... First, reading it, and then reading it again. You're going to make me get the secret away, Tori. You're about to make me give the secret away, the secret <laughs> sauce. <laughs> I mean, even if we knew your playbook, we still can't do what you can do. Yeah, come on now. Let's talk that talk. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> you know what? I love, I really love just um, reading the material and really getting to know whoever the character is that I'm playing or learn about that person, that person's personality, the person's birth date. Um, you know, I'm not a Zodiac person, but I also know that people that share the same month, they share similarities. Um, and I just dig in and then I start learning about the person. And if that person... It's fiction, and I create a story for that person, a life. You invent a whole backstory. And an entire backstory. Um, and, then, and then if that person is a real person, of course, then I just try to dig up everything possible. So I just start by asking the basic questions. Who, what, where, when, why. Obstacles. Seen before. Seen before, before. The, um, how to overcome the obstacles and... Um, the need, motivation, how I'm going to get that, the macro, the micro. And then um, just really push and just, just constantly keep learning about it. And it's always a thought after that. It's always on my thoughts, whatever it is. It's interesting to me how an actor is going to create that reality and then live in it in a surreal environment. The environment mm -hmm. looks real from when we're seeing it on TV or in a movie, but right beyond what we see, there's all these cameras and all these people, so it, reality breaks. And, you know, you shoot for 35 seconds, 30 seconds, 60 mm -hmm. seconds, and then stop, 
do it again, move over, whatever. So the challenge to stay real and authentic mm-hmm. in the surreal mm-hmm. surreality. How do you do that? Well, with the with the help of the people around you, that takes it very seriously as well. Um, the knowledge that, as you said, it's surreal, right? But the people that are working with you understand the magnitude of what you're doing um, and what you're doing to stay focused with your scene partner. So what you're doing as the grip, what you're doing as lighting and sound and a cinematographer, um, you guys take it extremely seriously in order for me to stay in pocket and really live there and just like every sound matters, every unnecessary light makes a difference. So it's like with the play of everyone as well as myself in that moment is very important for people to know that it's a serious moment. And when you see the seriousness around you, then you take it even that much more seriously. Because mm-hmm. I, I always believe you. Mm. And there's a seriousness, clearly a seriousness of craft mm. to you, but I'm not thinking about craft. I'm like, yeah, I believe him. Thank you. That's funny. I was having a conversation about that the other day in regards to actors, because acting is subjective, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, for me personally, people always talk about this person is amazing, this person is not. And I'm like, you know what I mean? If I believe you, that's it. And that's, and, and, I, and, I, and I, I don't really, it's not, that, well, I don't really shoot for that, right? I don't shoot for believability. I, I more so shoot for, um, just to be honest, to be really honest about the character and who they are yeah and what they would do and how they would speak and um what they're feeling and and we own the city you're playing this cop who has a outsized reputation in baltimore because of his end and the confusion about what it but how do you how do you take a real person and make them real in that in that acting environment hmm. well you start from the top with him and who is he and the fact that he existed so it's really what other people say about him so you're talking to his family about him well I chose not to okay respect okay you know? but I did speak to friends and co-workers and gathered as much footage when you're working with a machine like hbo you know they have footage that they could that i couldn't find and i reached out to them and i asked them to provide me with that source material which they did um and then i spoke to friends just to get to know who he was as well as people on the street that knew him um and the consensus was that he treated people like citizens you know, with respect. Uh, and he was doing his job, and he was a detailed, strategic person. So with all of that, you know, you grab all of that information that people are giving you based on how this person, how people see you. But he was going along with the corrupt right. stuff. Right. I mean, uh, he was going around along with the corrupt stuff based on, I didn't see that. Meaning, did he take the money is the question. So that's the question that I was consistently asking also. Um, 
mean, when he finds the bag of drugs in the car. Oh, yeah. It was under the know seat. it wasn't there, right? That's what I'm saying. I'm like, he planted that, right? Right. Did he plant it? Oh, you missed the part where the other guy came. Somebody else came and put it, and then so Sean when found you rewatch it. it, you'll see that I, don't, I think it might have been the chief that Wayne called, and they just show him walking towards the car. But then it's left to your imagination. See, David Simon is very <laughs> subtle. Yeah, very. And you can miss things. It's mm-hmm. it's 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 like tiny brushstrokes and the little look, the little comment. Absolutely. He never like. Puts it in your face like yeah. like an Aaron Sorkin might, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's there's no need for subtlety. We're banging, no. but Simon is there. It's like it's like yeah. if it was music, it would be like quiet. Like you got to strain to hear it. Absolutely, and that's exactly to answer your question. How I feel about the acting process, that subtlety, that just you know, subtle enough for you to see the colors. You mm-hmm. know, like the lines and music. You hear every sneer. You know, um, so once you watch it again, you'll see that gentleman, right? But the thing about it is also what you're saying is, you know, it wasn't there before. So that's what you mean when you, I assume you're saying, if you knew it wasn't there before and then all of a sudden you found it. then Right. You, do, you already tossed the car, right. but the second time you found it, you didn't say nothing. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, surely you, you, he knew. Right. Wayne is crazy. Wayne will do whatever. And you didn't say anything. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. 
Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. So the f- when we're talking, the final episode is already aired. Right. Episode six. People have had several days to watch it. <laughs> right. <laughs> he killed himself, right? Did he kill himself? <laughs> I think he did. I know. And so many people think he didn't. And so many people think he did. It's like when um, Sonia Son made a documentary on Sean Souter and his life, and the community believes that he was ambushed. Um, paperwork and research and study shows that he might have killed himself. He was shot with his own gun. Yes. It sure was. So many reasons as to why you can paint that picture. But for me, my goal is to leave it up to the audience. You would prefer it to be, I don't know what happened, rather than taking a side. Right, because he ran into an alley. He didn't come out. It's a gray area right there. But um, everybody has their own opinion based on what happened. Me, I really, with respect to the family, is the reason why I also keep it to myself. Your opinion. My opinion. I mean, in, in that moment of storytelling, all you guys, the director, the editor, and you are all working to tell a story that leaves the answer vague. Because mm-hmm. they could absolutely show him shooting himself and take a position, right. but the camera cuts away at just the moment where we're where there's enough deniability on uh, mm-hmm. people could take either side. With, with with respect to what was seen in reality, right? Because they're trying. They're, the goal is to stick to the script and present the story to the people, and um, there was not a camera in there to show whether he pulled the trigger or whatever, but the evidence, walkie-talkie in a hand, gun tucked underneath, DNA in the gun, et cetera, can lead a person to believing and saying, listen, comment, look. But at the same time, because there was no camera and there was no, I mean, listen, there are crimes that are committed on camera and atrocities on men, black men in particular, mm-hmm. on camera, mm-hmm. where people are found not guilty. Sure, of course. Right, and you can you're looking. You're like, hold on a second. I just you telling me it. what I saw is not what I saw. So now the area of not being able to see something clear, and having to rely, I guess. I mean, the citizens of Baltimore having to rely on the word of. I mean, for me, there's so many little clues. Just to pick one, mm-hmm. before he goes in the alley, he's not really looking in the alley. Right, he's looking at his partner. Yeah. Like, why keep looking at his partner? Because he's waiting for his partner <laughs> to stop paying attention so he can go in the alley and be unseen. Mm-hmm. 
You right? mean the, the last moment? Yeah, the last right, moment. Right. If you were really looking for a person, you'd be looking, right? The character right. doesn't appear to be looking for a person. Right. He's looking for his partner to not be looking. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. You know, it's crazy too, right? Him having family, five kids, his wife, his home, his mortgage, all those responsibilities, his job. When, and the kind of man that he is would make you ask the question, I mean, that's a permanent solution for temporary problems, if that was the case. I mean, when you're, I mean, you know you're marching potentially toward prison, Mm. potentially toward shame, losing career. Mm. I could see an environment where this man might say, like, this is this is this is the best solution for me and my family. Mm. And I avoid prison and shame, uh, and they get paid. Yeah. Did anything in you say, I don't know about playing a cop? Mm. <laughs> you know what? That's George Pelicanos reached out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was on Bosch for seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, seven seasons, and I had a great time. Right, um, because I respect the writers and their approach to being honest about policing and law enforcement, and um, that was fiction. So when George Pelicanos reached out, he said, "Look, I know you just finished playing a cop. You know, the actor always wants to stretch his muscles in all different areas, right? We're artists. And that's what we do. We want to tell stories and we want to be involved." And um, he asked me the question. I was like, what's the story about? So he sent me the book. And when I read the book, I couldn't believe what I was reading. And, you know, for the most part, it's not just about playing a cop. It's about being part of a greater story mm-hmm. that's going to force conversation, that's going to lead to some kind of a solution, that's going to shine a light on the war on drugs, that's going to shine a light on Baltimore and the citizens of Baltimore saying, oh, yeah, I did see us. I can't tell you how many panel discussions I was a part of um, that people stood up in the audience before they saw episode two and described exactly what happened to them in episode two. Out of frustration saying they locked, I, I would walk, step out of my door and just look at the cop. And they said, you're going to jail. And then lock me up and then make me fill out a form and then say, and then David got up and said, listen, see episode two. And then you'll say, we did the job. We got the job done. And that was their life, you know? So to play law enforcement or to play any character and to be a part of something great, I think that's the most important part, you know? Well, no, no matter the magnitude of the role, um, it's like, you're gonna be part of this story right here. A, a lot of thespians have a very sort of loud being about them. Mm. And I noticed you're very sort of quiet. Mm. Like your energy's kind of quiet, the way you talk, everything. And it, it brings the attention in. You know, I was just watching something that was like, you know, when you go to speak, like to give a speech or whatever, don't just start talking. Start by being silent for several seconds and make the audience a little little stressed. <laughs> and, like, they got to, like, to get your – and then 
go into it. And you seem very like, very quiet so that you have to pay attention. Mm. I'm interested in people. That's really what it is. Seriously, I'm just interested in people and um, and not trying to be interesting. I'm just interested in people. You're not trying to be interesting. No, no. I mean, you're talking about Jamie Hector. You're not talking about the characters that I play. I am talking about Jamie, right. but I think that that also is informing right. your characters and it comes through in the characters. Right. That they are not overly calling for attention. Mm-hmm. They are getting attention. Right. But you're going at it in a different way than a lot of other actors. I understand. Are. Yeah, I'm just interested in people. I'm interested in Torrey. I'm interested in in people as well as when it comes down to working on um, on a character. I'm interested in my scene partner and what they're gonna do next. And you know, you, you really you really study the person, you study the eyebrows, you study that, you study their physicality, you study that the hair, you study everything about them, right? In conversation. And I'm just interested in their stories, I'm interested in what they have to say, um, where they came from. And when I meet an interesting person, I'm really interested in meeting their parents. Interesting. I'm interested in knowing who raised them, mm-hmm. who poured into them. Mm-hmm. And if they were absent of parent, how did they get that? Then it's like that nature versus nurture thing. It's like, how did you become this without that? Mm-hmm. Or how did you become this with to a two-parent household in the burbs being provided for. How did you go left? I want to meet them. I want to know what your, the, the value system, you know? So I'm just interested in people. So I guess that probably leads to me just really pulling back and paying attention. Interesting. I mean, you have to be a student of human nature mm. to be a good actor. Say it. <laughs> Say it. Say it plain. <laughs> Where did yeah. you study? Lee Strasberg Data Institute. And then four years there, and then William Esper, um, a little bit. So is that the method? The method, yeah. So you're a method actor. I mean, I I apply. I love it. And um, I apply it as much as I possibly can. So are people referring to you as the character's name on the set and that sort of thing? No, 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 no. You know what? In the beginning, when I first came out of... Lee Strasberg, that would be my preference to lock in. But when you're doing TV, it's hard. It's a little different, you know, because, I mean, f- because it's it can make you tense. Not the method, per se, but just locking in all day, even in the trailer and everything like that. I tried. I did it. I did it on a short film I was a part of called Five Deep Breaths. I was all the way in. I threw everything against the wall. And that's the beauty of it, you know. Um, I always say if an artist, if an actor can come out of wherever they train and go straight to work, you'll see amazing work on film and television um, and on stage. But because it's such a climb uphill, you'll usually come out of the the institute or you'll come out of the conservatory or wherever you trained and then you'll pursue work. And in the meantime, you have to get a job and then try to continue training, and then two to four years have passed by, and now hunger kind of dies down. You can't throw everything against the wall like you had plans to do. And then, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't have that gusto no more, you know. So fortunately for me, I was like, I'm a Brooklyn boy. I was planting seeds while I was in school and working while I was training. 
with intention to just come out there and go. What were some of the major things you learned at Strasbourg? Um, personalization. What does that mean? To personalize the situation and the scene as much as you possibly can. So it's like, okay, this belongs to him. What in there did I experience in my life? That's why age and time also leads to a great artist. It's, you know, because they have life experience. What, what is it that they have right now? Sean Suda was born October 8th. I was born October 7th. Interesting. Yeah. You know, um, his value system, he loves his family. He loves his children. Um, he was interested in people. And that was really interesting to me. So, and just try to really, um, that was one of the things that I really loved. Um, substitution, imagination, um, just playing with um, the imagination. And uh, like, I could look at you right now and see knives flying around your head and just like, uh, you know, you know, I might approach you in a different way. It's only if the real thing doesn't work, you know, if I'm not like locked in, in a way just to lock in to you. Marlo Stanfield was my favorite character on The Wire. Wow. <laughs> right on. I mean, I just I just liked him. I don't even know why. I didn't even really see him as a villain. I'm like, that's my nigga right there. <laughs> that's my, my man. And he kind of... In the words of Denzel, my man. My man. And, and he kind of had this, this slow build. Like, we heard about him. Yeah. We heard about him. And then we start seeing him a little bit and more and more. And it was like, yo, this nigga right here. <laughs> Fucking killing yeah. the game. <laughs> Talk to me about building Marlowe and who he was off the page. Who he was off the page. Yeah. I mean, was he a traumatized person? Well, you know, building him and who he was off the page. My, who he was off the page was really interesting to me because before they introduced who he was off the page, it's what I documented. Meaning like his secret Mercedes Benz, he refuses to drive those luxury vehicles in his community, in the hood, right? It's like his willingness to be invisible, his setup in his home. Like when you went and you saw Dominic West's character, McNulty, finally go and find Stringer Bell's apartment, and he went in there and it was all of this. That's not Marlowe's. You know, his place is just like, it's bare. You know, it's, it's no fancy art on the wall or anything like that. It's just like, a pl- it's used for exactly what it's used for. It's a place to lay my head. You know, um, very economic. Economic, he's just not a waste of anything, words, action, anything. And um, I used to, I used to wake up and I used to put my coins in order. And, and Andre Royal will tell you he came into the apartment that I was staying at, and I, I designed it in a way just for, just for the mentality of Marlowe as well, right? Like there was nothing in there, really, just books and push-up bars, and a bed. Um, that was with intention, right? Um, and then 
also, but he's always head on a swivel. So how do you build? How do I build him? I built him with the backstory and the story of Michael was impressive to me because that's exactly the way that I built Marlowe. His history, his difficulty, him being raised by older individuals. And, you know, people will raise you even when they're not because you're just watching and mm-hmm. you're learning. You know, okay, this is how you move. Mm. This is how you don't move. And this was him. And then also just being used as a adolescent to commit crime because, of course, you know, you're not going to do any time, especially mm-hmm. in the 90s, mm-hmm. all right? Mm-hmm. Run up in a Chinese store, a bodega, shotgun out, you get arrested, slap on the wrist, right? Come back home, push you up, you slide into the apartment. And this is all they imagined. This is what I was imagining with him, right? This is what they were doing with him, right, as a kid. Slide into the apartment, unlock the door, they come in a clean house, or whatever the case. So this was his life growing up because clearly his mother was, you know, intermingling with dudes and he saw them coming in and out of the house and she was young and she was rambunctious. So this was his life. And then adding music and adding excerpts from different books. And what music? One of the one was Silent Murder by Nas. Mm-hmm. And that just basically spoke to me about him. You know that song? Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah, silent, silent, silent murder. Jazz keys. They just like set the tone. What books? I put. I pulled from the Bible. Where? Pulled from... There was a moment when Moses... Was it Moses? When it was becoming too much for an individual to be involved in everyone's life. So he was told to delegate. This is what we're going to do. We're going to give other people responsibilities to do the job instead of you taking everything on your back. I think that was Moses. I don't want to misquote. Um, 48 Laws. 48 Laws of Power, hell yeah. What was the law that drove you for Marlowe? It wasn't just one because, you know, I was just passing through that material, Othello also being one, right? So I was just passing through all of it. And so I would flip that book open. And there was one for a particular scene with um, Prop Joe. And I can't remember the law exactly, but it was just like, you know, you're looking through people, you know, peasants. Like there's people that they're just not on your level. And this is how this guy was thinking. This is how Marla was thinking. Like, okay, you're, you, you're a pawn. And I think there's a quote in there also, like, feel sorry for pawns. I think Bodie might have said it because um, they always get the short end of the stick. That was the case with him, just basically. Um, and Othello also, in regards to leadership. Um, who not to trust. How even the people close to you. So that scene in 
in prison because Iago was able to betray Othello through friendship. And it's like I'm sitting around a bunch of dudes here that thought that they had my best interest at heart by not telling me that my name was on the streets. You know, I'm trying to control my narrative. Like right now, you're destroying this. So, you know, shaking it up with with that. So just the music, the books, the paintings. There's a um, there's a there's a there's a there's a painting of this guy that's, I don't know if he's a Moor. But I love it, and that's I used to hang that up on the wall. And he has it's it's like BC. He has his head wrapped in a. Wall. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals. Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order. Usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alamine a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is Mosi Secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from Tinderfoot TV Campside Media and iHeart Podcasts Radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. White cloth. He has like a white robe on. He has a sword. He has, he's, he's maybe a shade or two darker than me. Sandals on. He just has, remember that Jamaican, like the Jamaican stance where you stand and you're mm-hmm. just like, and he's just standing there and that image right there. And I was like, that's it. Hung that up. So just applying all of these things and having fun with it, you know, step by step. The the quietness that I talked about in Jamie, I think is big in Marlowe. Mm. Right? And there's a lot of silence that communicates. There's a lot of face. Mm-hmm. But he's not big with the face. Mm. Right? It's, right? It's small, minimalist gestures that are like heavy. <laughs> like, yo, I'm scared of this nigga. <laughs> He's amazing. I love him. I'm scared yeah. of him. Oh, my God. I want him to go kill so-and-so mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever it may be. But that minimalism you put into him mm-hmm. to convey that power. Yeah. Yeah. It's really just... Um, Remember what I said earlier on, like you do all of this work and then you just believe that it's there. And then you respond to the people that's standing across from you. And also, I knew guys, right? I shadowed, 
I would shadow dudes, and they didn't know I was shadowing them. Also, you were shadowing hood dudes, like, but the dudes that I knew growing up. You know, you knew friends. You, friends, like you know them from second grade, and then they make a left turn, right? So they don't know. Nah, you know, <laughs> but you know, but you listen to the conversation sometimes. You know, sometimes people can say things that's just like, but you don't respond to. You just like this is how you think. This is how you think. This is how you think. You really saw Marlo thinking. Mm. I think I appreciated that too. That he was clearly, and the Wire had a bunch of these, but but he was clearly an intellectual or at least an intelligent mm. criminal. <laughs> Right, and people would say things, and he would like roll it around, think about it, mm. you know, and spit it back after he's tossed it around. Some, you know, so often, especially when we're criminals on stage, on screen, we're reactive, we're animalistic, we're aggressive. You know, those those impulse emotions, mm-hmm. and he was very thoughtful. Yeah, you know, he would put himself in spaces to grow. That's really what it was also. And when he felt like he couldn't get anything from you in regards to growth, time's up, gotta move. But, and, and Michael Kostroff, his attorney, he's like, hmm, Prop Joe, the Greeks, even of his level of respect for, Mar- for for Barksdale when he came to the, I mean, he came to the, to see him locked up for many reasons, but, I mean, sitting in the back of the courtroom, but it was also a level of respect. And how to not let that be him, his willingness to grow, and I think him being around people and learning from them. And, you know, you learn a lot when you don't talk a lot. Mm. I imagine... The different scenes require a different level of preparation, right? Every scene is not the same. It doesn't require the same emotional. So when you're going to do your big speech, my name is my name, and you're taking up to an emotional level that the character almost never hits, right? He's very, like, low and mellow. He never strains his throat. And then in this scene, he's way up high. How do you prepare for that? How do you live in that to make that scene so powerful? Well, again, it was a lot coming before that. So, of course, I looked at the material and I, you know, I dissected it. And then there was a moment that Nina, and this is my appreciation for directors and producers and writers, really profound respect for them because, if, especially if they're doing their job, right, as a director, and you direct me, and she... We did the, we shot the scene, and then she just came and said, um, Jamie, she just said a little something to me that just did it, and it, was, it causes you to pivot just a little bit. What'd she say? She said, um, imagine, I want, I want you to see this. Them talking about you on the streets is like IBM or any corporation being dismantled by its employees or anybody else or other corporations. That's what she told you. That's what she said to me. And when she said that, then I said, ching, ching, okay, you, you see me as a corporation. Oh, you know, you hear everyone saying, like Marlo and Avon and Stringer Bell, these dudes could run 
um, company. Absolutely. And, yeah, right? Yeah. But once she said it, it clicked. Where it's like, oh, this is serious. This is serious. This is something that's going to, this is life or death now. This is me facing life because of your mistakes and because you allowed people to drag my name. And that's where it started. It didn't start with Michael. It didn't him running down and having conversations with people. It didn't start with any of those people. It started with somebody dirtying your name, not allowing you to control your narrative. And then Michael probably heard it. And then a little boy down the block heard it. And then that business heard it. And then they felt that they could do it. And then now I'm sitting here looking at you guys. Which and that required a level of, um, I can't fire you now. I mean, I, this is business. What I'm gonna do? Fire you? I need you now. Now we're here, and I need this to get handled. You know. So, I think that he saw it at a diff, at a level. Once she gave me that little nugget, and it was like that push. That whole notion is so much of what that whole. Street life, whether you're in the game or not, is all about. I can't ever have my reputation soiled 1%. Because if somebody hears that you punked me, mm. I, then everybody's going to want to punk me. I'm going to have to fight everybody. So I have to punch you in the face or shoot you or kill you mm. so that, you know, so that everybody, know, right? I mean, like, your reputation, your entire is on the line every moment of the day. That's, Literally that's life crazy. or death. Yes. Yeah. Literally life or death. And so many great quotables on the wire. And I was asked the other day, what's one of my favorite? And it's one of my favorite because based on what you're saying right now, and it's because um, if we would understand that that's not a way that we have to live, that quote that says, I don't care if it's a lie. Even if it's a lie, we got to ride on that lie. It's politics. That's the streets. That's, you know, that's, you know what you're doing and what you're saying is not true. You know that they didn't do it to us, but everyone else believes that they did. So guess what we got to do? We got to live that lie. And we got to move on them as if they did it so that the rest of the world can say, oh, they took care of it. So it must have been them. When you know it wasn't. And it's a lie, I got to ride on that lie. That was just a a way to not live. You know? Interesting. But it's, it's an interesting piece of advice almost for all of us. <laughs> right. That the truth will not necessarily save you if a lot of other people mm-hmm. in your world believe then you got to... You got to ride on that. You got to you got to rock with that. You got to let them know. Well, you got to get out. Mm. Especially if it's life or death. I mean, you got to live to tell the story. And if it boils down to to that. Is there another quote that really stands out for you? Another mm. line that you're like, "Yo, I love this." Cuz David Simon was writing poetry constantly. Oh my goodness. So, so many. Um, this is just not one way. You know, you want it to be one way, but it's the other. There's, it's not one way to 
you, you to understand for me really that a person can be looking at something and saying this is the only way to do it. It's the only way to do it. It's the only way to do it. You know, it's, I'm learning now that it's not just black and white, right? Mm-hmm. It's gray. So you see somebody steal a lollipop. You know that dude about his business, bruh. Let that slide. Because <laughs> you won't die. You know? You, gotta, you need to understand there's so many different ways in business and life and everything else, right? What do you make of the end of The Wire? Because the end is centered on you. Mm. Which is kind of crazy to me. I mean, I'm like, yo, that's my <laughs> dude right there. This is how it ends on Marlo? Like, what? Yeah. So unexpected. Everybody wanted him dead. Right. Politics. Nobody thought Trump would have won. <laughs> Politics. You know, expectations, right? I thought that <clears throat> I was surprised that he was able to make it that far. But at the same time, I think he would have died a death. I think he would have, if he were one that was going to die, I think he would have he would have dealt with it the same. You understand? With his head up. But it's important right. that you get away. Yeah. We all know everybody in that game dies or prison. You got away. Speaks for the ones that got away. But at the same time, did he get away? I mean, within the scope of this world, Mm -hmm. he gets away. Right. God only knows cops roll up on him the next day and violate him back. Oh, no, no. I'm not. I don't mean in that way. I mean, in regards to, you know, he's strong by his team. He has no team. Oh, but I'm like a guy like that could. Create a team. He could rebuild a team. <laughs> Which he <laughs> attempted to do on the corner, right, when he went out. But he got away. And what I felt about the end, I felt that um, <clears throat> it was extraordinary writing. I mean, just the, the ones that attempt to transform their lives, Stringer, don't make it out. He's in business. He's doing this. He's doing that. And Marla wants no part this corporate life because he knows who he is and he's locked into that I know who I am I'm not even trying to fake it for anyone this is get me out of here so it was interesting to me it was just one of those moments where it was just like it caught me off guard also when I read it 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 also made me think about the next generation as big as he was the next generation has already forgotten him and they're moving on you know who I am? No, I don't. Exactly. And yet he is so innately powerful that he can reclaim that spot. Mm. Right? So it's not like you're you're yesterday, old man. Now I got the gun. You got to get it. No, like, kid, I could take these corners back because it's in my heart. Mm. Which he did. <laughs> Which he did. Yeah. Did you see him as a villain? <clears throat> You know, I saw him as many things. A villain was one. You did? Yeah. I'm not even going to front. Like, 
his ability to, you know, fill row houses and take lives, innocent life. I don't, I don't look past that. But it's serious to me. But his ability to, to run that business. I have a theater company. Tomorrow, I mean, moving mountains. Tomorrow's future there was a company I was with, moving mountains, and I asked. They were like 14, 15, 17, 18, 19, all, all ages. So which I thought about the character. What is he? A criminal, a businessman? All of them said businessman. Yeah. That, I was shocked. I was like a businessman. A businessman. He was conducting. Business. I saw him as that. I saw him as a villain. I saw him as a <clears throat> um, a, a, a person that was dialed in and focused with the cards that he was dealt. Yes. He was playing the hands that he was dealt. Yes. And if playing the hands in a different, if someone else poured into him, you know, if given other opportunities growing up, then I could only imagine what else he would have been, you yeah. know, um, because he was determined, like LeBron, you know, in his story. You know, he was determined with the laser in his eyes to get it by any means necessary. I mean, when he was sitting down, they were talking with the, and looking in the Jeep, and it was Snoop, and it was Chris, and he was like, yeah, but it's my turn now. I'm ready, you know. I mean, his determination was beyond. It was like life or death. It was, he was going to get it, regardless of what. So I see him as many, so many things. I mean, I feel like I was so, I was rooting for the hood. Yeah, right on. Right? <laughs> yeah, not, man. Fucking cops are not the heroes. <laughs> I'm rooting yeah. for them. Sometimes right. I'm forwarding through to cops because I'm like, I don't care about them. <laughs> and then we go to City Hall. I'm like, I don't care about them. Kids, yeah. Back to the hood. But they dropped jewels and quotables too. Though no, they did. Key, yeah. Shit. All yeah, in yeah, there. Yeah. Absolutely. But I want to be on the hood with mm. the couch and the yeah, yeah, this yeah, and yeah, the prop yeah. Joe. And that. like that was the fun shit to me. I'm like, yeah, like you said, like it was the Cowboys dealing with mm-hmm. the life that they were handed. Oh, yeah. I can't. Go, it's not like I'm choosing this over mm-hmm. my job. This is, this is the hand, the car that I was, this is it. I mean, David Simon talks about it's a company town, mm-hmm. the drug industry. Mm-hmm. They don't have other choices. Mm-hmm. So now he's taking it to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, if Marlo's a villain is... Not Stringer, also a villain? Is not Snoop also mm-hmm. a villain? I mean, I don't know. I'm certainly ain't looking at it like the cops are the heroes and all the hood is the villains. Like No, because they're villains as well. Right. Right? So you're saying they're all villains. Everybody's flawed. Everybody's flawed. Right. And we'll- But being flawed is different than being a villain. Right, right. Yeah, but, you know, being flawed is different from being a villain, but there's a degree, like, you never know what somebody will do, right? I guess they're practicing and they're working in law enforcement and all the other jobs that people hold, right? So you really won't know what somebody will do until you see their back up against the wall, right? But they don't practice it. I understand. So the saying is basically Marlowe and String, and they're practicing that. Everyone else is practicing employment and service to the community. So they're probably not villains, I guess, but um, put their back up against the wall. You might get a Jenkins. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, 
you had a tremendous amount of power that you radiated on that screen. Mm. Your brother, Michael K. Williams, mm. was radiating power at an insane level. Absolutely. And was incredibly captivating. And I think that character changed America in mm. a lot of ways. It did. Um, talk about, I mean, like, the whole Omar character was insane. Insane, man. I mean, like Andre said, which was interesting, uh, Andre Royal, and I never even saw it like this. Because, I mean, I just saw, I, when, when I looked at Mike, I was like, man, this dude is so gifted, mm -hmm. you know? But Andre, to quote Dre, he said something in an interview that we had yesterday that really opened my eyes to this uh, as a point where people, where it changed people. It changed the way people in the hood especially looked at Mike's character. So once the wire started and they saw this guy with the shotgun, the pump, the trench coat, sticking up drug dealers, everybody was like, I'm him. That's me. I'm Omar. I'm Omar Little. Like, And then next episode down the line, they see him kissing his boyfriend. He's gay. Then it's like, you still Michael? You still Michael? You can't run back now. You still are. You are. So now so many of them were like, they were able to separate the two or keep it together, whatever they said, but they still were claiming Michael. And I think that was a transitional period right there where people, one, respected the character, two, loved Mike because of the person that he was, but also loved Omar, you know, and, you know, respected people and allowed people to live their life, the life that they have. That's their lifestyle, whatever the lifestyle is, you know, and... Can't nobody mess with Omar. No. He will stick you up. No. You know, and Omar walking. <laughs> and he had a cold. <laughs> he walking into the jungle and everybody else, the lions run. <laughs> Absolutely. It's crazy with a whistle. <laughs> with a whistle, man. That man. But yeah, was... we never seen a gay character like that. Never. On television. Never. And it definitely and I I think if you're in the hood, you know there's hard gay dudes. Yeah. Like yeah. Of course there are. Yeah, without a doubt. And Snoop, who's been on this show, also... Oh, was Snoop was on this show, right? Yeah, yes, yes, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Was an incredible character. Man, was she, man. And she's hilarious, too. As serious as she is, she would, I mean, you knew you had her, so you know she had you cutting up in here, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. And she's oh, hilarious. Yeah. She's so real. Yeah, she's real. She's real. She's like, that was not the first time I was on television. I'm like, well, what was the first time you were on television? Well, when I saw myself on America's Next Most Wanted. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and she said it slow, too. She said, that wasn't the first time I was on television. <laughs> Look, we were on set, and she said, um, she said, you know, you give a dude a dap sometimes, and, you know, it's like, you're happy to see him, you like... You know, you, you, it's like hard. And, you know, I don't question, you know. I mean, I'm just like, hey, Snoop, and I'm like, oh, okay. But she gave me with the energy, the energy where, I mean, it'll leave your hands Hurts. red. It's like you're smacking bricks, and yeah. I love it. Yeah. Right? It fires you up. That's love. That's love, right? And she was like, bro, man, you know, it's, it's nothing, man. I'm, look, she's she was saying, um, this is my life. I was... I was born with this kind of energy, you know? And then she just basically, she's like, look, I don't even got no, <laughs> she's like, I'm just me, you know? Um, 
and she would cut us up on set and she would just, um, meaning like just cracking jokes and we would have to stop and pause and everybody had to grab themselves because, you know, the mic is on and everybody behind the camera is laughing and cracking up. Snoop is something else, man. She's hilarious. For a lot of people, The Wire's the number one show, TV show of all time. Did you have any idea of that sense while y'all were making it? Did you feel like, yo, this is something special or it's like... I'm just, you know, I'm doing my job. He's doing his job. Excellent. She's doing her job. Like, we're just marching for. Like, did you feel like we are crushing the game right now? No, I felt like we were crushing the game only because <laughs> I got a job as a series regular on a show that's hot, surrounded by serious people. So for me, it was a win. And then I would go back home and on Sunday nights. What time was it? Nine o'clock? Ten o'clock? Yeah, yeah, The yeah. streets were empty. Everybody was watching. And that's all I cared about. I cared that my team, my hood, my people were on television. They were watching. And you walk through the hood and they're like, Marlo! You know, they love it. You know, they love the character. They love the show. They learned a lot, you know, what to do, what not to do, you know. And, And so we were winning already anyway, you know. Now, did I expect it to be... I mean, as big as it is. It's gigantic. No, I got to say this, man. You know, I mean, whatever project that that I get on and I don't feel like, I don't see anybody shooting for, like, an Emmy or anything like that. I don't get that. People aren't shooting for that. Like, they're shooting to do quality work, great work, and the people that I'm working with are serious. I already feel like it's a win, you know, so I didn't expect it to not be. Because when I first saw The Wire, it was when Wallace was being walked to his death. And the person that shot him, the person that took the gun from his boy and shot him was Pooh, which was Wallace's man. My manager right here saw that and said, we got to get you on this show. Really? Seriously. And when I saw it, I was like, this is crazy. What is this? This is amazing, you know. Heart. Broke my heart. Broke my heart in a piece. So you were a fan of the show. I was a fan of the show. How'd you get on the show then? (laughs) So there was a, um, I was part of a short film called Five Deep Breaths, directed by Seath Mann, his thesis film out of NYU. And it was the lead role of a character named Banny and... Went to an eight. He was in college, and he um, he basically um, led the show, led the short film. Well, we had a vehicle now, so my manager said, "You know what? I want to get you on the show. How are we going to do it?" So she reached out to the cast and director Alexa Fogel, got the VHS tape down there to them. That's a cassette tape. That's a cassette tape that people it. would put in a VCR. Exactly. <laughs> my kids would be like, "What? What is, is that?" A v- what is that? It was mad big, too. It's huge, man. I mean, like, yeah. Isn't that something? Man, Dude, we live in a lifetime. So so your manager got the VHS to the casting director. I mean, it's The Wire. It's, it's HBO. Wire. It's hot like fish grease. I'm sure Not a yet. lot of people were coming at the casting director. What yeah. about me? What about me? What about me? Well, fortunately for us, the, um, she wasn't there. She was away across seas, but she had a copy 
in her bag because they were looking for directors, et cetera. And Seath Mann was also one that they were considering. Oh, wow. So when her assistant calls her and says, I have a short here that you should see. She's like, what is it? Already saw it. I already have it. I haven't seen it yet, though. Okay. And then from that point, she called me in for everything. I mean, white, black, Indian, Asian, whatever the character was, I was in the room reading for it. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And then that show came. And then I met with the team in the room two or three times. Read for Cuddy. I was too young. Called me back, gave me the material for Avon. I was like, man, the words just jumped off the page. You know? Then it was a green light from there. And it's changed your life. Absolutely. Yeah, it changed my life big time. It changed my life. It gave me a chance to be a part of something that was amazing, show what I can do, um, play ball for real ball players, you know, um, in front and again, like I say, in front of the camera and behind the camera because it's that serious. You know, you have to have a vision. I mean, you could have went six seasons, easy, seven seasons, but thank God he was like, nah, we're going to stop at five and let's stand on his own legs. That's a vision, Right. Didn't you want it to keep going? Of course, but I'm glad we didn't now. I did because, I mean, I'm an actor and I want to act. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like I'm part of a show. Let's go. And David is, David Simon is so brilliant. It's not like, and it's not just coming from his imagination. It's coming from the, the work, mm -hmm. the reporting that he's done for decades yeah. leading up to writing this so I'm like, he surely could have written two, three more seasons that were deep and researched and thoughtful and maintained that level of. Mm -hmm. But he didn't. And we're talking about it now. <laughs> could have took an L, too. You know, he could have went and wrote six and been like, what is this? After the sixth season. I don't season. think so. Don't, yeah, because he's, yeah, yeah, because he's seven, yeah, 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 because he knows what he's doing. I mean, what we see with We Own the City that David Simon-ness continues, mm. right? And the way he tells stories. Mm -hmm. I mean, part of what I loved about him too, love about him, he's talking about systems. Yeah, He's not talking about interpersonal racism. He's talking about the system and how it functions through people and the machine that she talks about. And I'm like, that's why... This is so important because it gets mm. you to look at the world through a systemic mm -hmm. lens. Mm -hmm. Which then leads people to make decisions that will change their lives and the people's lives around them. And I always tell this story, right? After season four aired, I was invited to a lot of different universities to go and speak, and especially to the classes because they started... Charles Ogletree at Harvard started a class on The Wire. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brown. Yeah at Rutgers, et cetera. Um, and I met so many people that were in corporate America that left their jobs to go start a new career in education because they saw the lack of resources, wow. the lack of educators in the public school system. 
So you're getting the love from academia. Hmm. Of course, you're getting the love from actors. Hmm. You ever get any, you don't have to name any names. You ever get anybody big in the hood who kind of slide up and be like, yo. Oh, on a block? You nailed it, son. And boys? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, no, man, too many times, like, you know you're playing my life, right? <laughs> yeah. Dude's coming home from 30 years. And, I mean, just going, I mean, I remember even in D.C. and New Orleans, Baltimore, you name it. It's just like. You're playing my life. Like, this is exactly what I'm like, dang, that's a serious life you live, brother. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's a serious life you live. Man. You like, it's, it's a nice place to visit. Yeah. But I don't want to live there. Nah, man, you got you to gotta, you gotta carry that weight with you. You know? Again, like I say, man, I'm happy to be part of a whole. Marlo is part of a story and a broken system. Right. You know, he's part of that. It's not his story, but you were rooting for him. So many people were rooting for him. And then there are people that were rooting for West. And there are people that were rooting for Driss. And there are people that were rooting for Boxdale and Cuddy. Um, but we're part of this whole thing, you know, that can shine a light on, like you said, these institutions and these systems that need some fixing. Because they'll create more of those. Um. What does being black mean to you, and mm. where does that show up in the work? Oh, man, just being true to yourself, being true to your people, being um, grounded and being really serious about the work, you know, like, and whatever you do, whatever that work is, and knowing that, one, is the legacy of you and your family, but at the same time, it's like, you know, it's artist. But it's specific that there was just one at a time, not too far, not too long ago. Sidney Poitier, mm. Denzel, Harry Belafonte. Um, yeah, but it's just one at a time, and that's yeah. unfortunate. It's a blessing that we're able to see how disciplined and serious, but there's so many um, 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 Negro League baseball players that were magnificent that didn't get a chance to shine, mm -hmm. right? But they were serious about their work, so just consistently stay serious and focused because it's, you never know when the light is going to shine on you to tell the story of how relentless you were at the work that you were doing. Mm -hmm. And just the proof that we exist, we've been existing, and we've been doing extraordinary work is not by chance. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, it's not a fluke, you know? That's part of what's so beautiful about The Wire that you get to act and do your art around all these other black people. Mm. That are for real. There were some black. great white characters, great white <laughs> actors, but I mean, right. like, it was such a black, especially on the hood side, it was such a black mm -hmm. environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and it's the thing, too, right? It's like, are these dudes really acting or is this really their life? Huh. Uh, beloved, we really put this down. We we're serious about this. Um, about acting, about acting, and about you know being true to the culture, being true to who we are as well. We're not running from that. You know, um, being black. You know, I always root for the underdog. Of course, Nas. Watch the move. Root for the villain. 
<laughs> you Turn know? it off before the end. <laughs> yeah, there it goes. I root for the, you know, I root for the people that, you know, like people turn on. Like you, you count them out. You count them out. Who are the actors you look at who are like, you're like, whoa, now he's, she's really doing it. Really doing it in regards to like, like success. Green, not, 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 not necessarily the success. Good. I'm glad you said that. The yeah. artistic success, the, 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 the talent and the craft that you're like, that's the person. You know, I used to love watching Kimberly Elise. Okay. You know. Um, there's a lot, man. There's a lot I could run a list off. You know, you know I'm going to say Denzel. Of course. You know I'm going to say Jeff Wright. Of course. You know I'm going to say Don Cheadle. Yeah, hell yeah. You know, you know I'm going to say Viola. Hell yeah. I'm watching, um, um, wow. I'm watching a lot of young actors come up also that I really appreciate. Who's great in, in the young gen? Jonathan. Well, he's, he's probably not that young. Boyega. No, no, no. What is it? Jonathan Mayers? Major. Uh-huh, Majors. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, he's very interesting. Sadiq Saunders. Okay. This young cat named Corey Knight. Uh-huh. Um, names to... Names that you would recognize also. Sadiq plays Ghostface on, on Wu. Love that show. Corey, I was watching him on the show on HBO. Um, young actors, but, you know, just people that you can tell, again, like I said, just are so serious, um, but are able to let that seriousness go when they're on set because they know that they actually um, got to exist in this thing, in this mm-hmm. human, in this life. Um, so many, but there's so many. So many. Yeah. Last thing, your superpower that has propelled you, the thing you do a little better than other people that led to your success. In my life? Yeah. And you, I mean, professionally in your work. Oh, in my work. Yeah. So my superpower that I've done in my work. Yeah. Man, you trying to get me to give all my secrets away? <laughs> What's up? <laughs> you trying to put? You still can't do what you do. <laughs> yeah, man, Chad, look, look, look. You know what? The beauty of this game also is, and this is a discussion I had the other day, a conversation I was living in was um, stealing. From other actors. Yeah. You know, some people look at that as a negative, and most look oh. at that as a positive. Hard to steal. You know, so my superpower Really, man, is I did a lot of this for free because I loved it. You did a lot of acting for free. Yeah, because I loved it. Well, we're not doing that now, but, you know, I was then. And it's because what I really love and still loved and still love about it is that, and it's just going to be weird, you know, because people that don't understand what I'm saying, they won't understand the process that when you see red, you understand? But that's what I mean. It's, I just looked at you and you were like, red? What is he talking about? But when you see red, it's just this thing when you're creating that you can get into a zone where it's just like, you know, you lose yourself. And my secret power is just working. 
It's just working on it and just having fun with it and asking questions and going to locations that it exists in and building with the people and going back again and picking music and creating playlists. And my secret power is just doing the work and then just letting it show up and just letting it go. That's So if you're lazy, this might not be for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if you got that thing in you and you just want to step on the gas, then... You know, you could win. Thanks so much to Jamie for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality. And maybe this show can help. Find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jennifer Ford. Our editors, Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington and Nick Carp. Our booker is Claudia Jean, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.